We were, um, we're thankful today to have uh, Dr. Steve Brazell here with us, and he did evangelism training during our life group time, and that was awesome. And I know most of you were there for that, and uh, it's really what we want to talk about today as we talk about Jesus uh, growing, the, building the church. Uh, super proud of Zoe Mitchell today. Sorry I couldn't be in the baptistry, though, but... Um, that, that's awesome. You know, I want to say to you that uh, if you hear nothing else this morning, what we've celebrated with Zoe is at the very core of what we are as a, about as a church. And I think of that verse in uh, Acts 2 where it says, And the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. I love that verse. And... Um, before we get to some other things, just to know uh, there has to be a choice in our life uh, that in which, and I, I love last Sunday I got to visit with Zoe about that, and uh, I told her at the end of that time, I said, you, you've made my day. This is the greatest, this is the best thing the preacher gets to do. Baptism's the second one, preaching's third. So, uh, but, you know, just to come to that place where we realize that we're a sinner that, that Christ died for us, but salvation is a gift that must be received, that we must surrender our lives and our hearts. Uh, and many of you obviously have made that decision, and it's, it's life-transforming. Life uh, but if you hear nothing else today, no, that's what we are about. And then to have the courage to go, no, I'm, gonna make, I'm, I'm going public with this. In fact, in a couple weeks... Uh, we're going to come in the book of Acts to how did Jesus build the church and he built it as they had courage to be baptized. And I remember sitting on the few, pew, front pew with Zoe Sunday morning. I said, you know, okay, you've been saved. Do, you know, do you, want, do you know that Jesus want, he wants you to be baptized? He says, I want to do it next Sunday. I said, okay, okay, okay. I love that spirit. Um, but uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to, Sunday morning, we're going to focus on baptism and the next Sunday... Uh, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. Seems appropriate. And we're going to say, are there some among us that the Holy Spirit would give you courage to say, I know I need to make it public, just like Zoe Mitchell did today. And so I want you to be thinking about that. Uh, as you give your life to Christ, that's number one. Second, to follow him in Christ. And then as we focused on today of telling that story, so... Jesus declared in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. We see that declaration fulfilled in the book of Acts. Inspired scripture records how Jesus began to build the church. The pivotal or transformative event is in Acts 2 in which Jesus sends the Spirit. He told them he was going to do it. Uh, the Spirit is the key. Jesus builds his church through his Spirit. And in these weeks between now and Easter, we are looking in the book of Acts of how Jesus, through his Spirit, built the church. Last Sunday, we talked about, and we're going to start in Acts 2.14, that Jesus raised up leaders. We talked about leadership 
last week. And we're, this is a thematic series, even though we're going to kind of take our themes as we progress through the scriptures. And so when we came to Acts 2.14, um, and it just says, it says, but Peter standing up with the 11. And we just kind of paused right there to say the first thing that the Holy Spirit did is he raised up leaders. But the second thing comes in the second half of that verse where it says, so it says, but Peter standing up with the 11 raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And we just want to pause right there. And today, what we see that emerges from the scriptures of just the ways that the Spirit built the church as Jesus was building the church through his Spirit, it's, it's this, that the Holy Spirit gives boldness to witness to Jesus. The Spirit gives boldness to witness to Jesus. Um, the words that are recorded there in Acts 2.14 speak of from a, a first-hand account. Uh, when Luke is recording this, he doesn't just say Peter spoke. He says that Peter raised his voice, which, Brother Steve, I like. You know, I, I was particularly a screamer in my early years, preaching, not so much anymore, but, um, you know, I, I know how to raise my voice. And this comes from a first-hand account. It's like, I think people were standing there and it's like, oh my goodness, okay. No, he was loud. He, he raised his voice. The other thing is that when it comes to that second word and it's translated said to them, said in the English, when I looked at that, I thought, that's not the normal word for said. It, it's a word that describes declaring something. It's not the word for proclamation. There's another word for that. But Luke says he raised his voice and he declared. And when I read that, I thought, what a contrast between days earlier. Do you realize that Peter is standing in the courtyard as Jesus is being tried? And there's a little girl that says, aren't you one of his followers? Absolutely not. And three times Peter denies the Lord, just days before this. And I think that's part of the contrast of the story that, and we're going to see the boldness in the story. He raised his voice and he declared with clarity and volume which a Baptist preacher appreciates. And he, he, he gives this message. So the second theme, means by which the Holy Spirit built the church, was that the Holy Spirit gave boldness to those first followers in the book of Acts to witness to Jesus. Um, this is throughout the book of Acts. But my favorite Cricket, I don't know why I think of you when I come to this scripture. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If there's just kind of this classic scripture that speaks of uh, the early disciples boldly witnessing to Jesus. 
I mean, we could take Peter's words here in Acts 2. But I love this section, and I want to read it. And I, I want you to look at these words. So this is, this is our theme for the day, the truth for the day. The Holy Spirit gives boldness to witness to Jesus. And we're going to break this down word by word. And I want you, as I read Acts 4, 5 through 20, I want you to see these words, boldness, witness, and Jesus. Okay, so as we go through, and I may make a few comments, but we will press towards the finish line uh, this morning. And so um, Peter and John have, in Acts 3, have healed a, a lame man. It has become an occasion for them to proclaim the gospel in the, the courtyards of the temple. They are arrested. We're going to get to persecution. <laughs> it's, going to be in, it's probably going to be in March, I think, but um, it's coming. But they're brought before the religious leaders, and it says in verse 5, and look at these words. Remember those words, boldness, witness, Jesus. It says, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, Peter and John is the them, when they had set them in the midst, they ask, by what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8, then Peter, notice the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. That becomes the pivotal point in Peter's life and quite honestly in this episode. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this is where it gets, the boldness starts, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, this is one of my favorites. It's circled in my Bible, you can't see it. I got a lot of underlining, but some verses get circled. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men 
For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Three words, witness, Jesus, boldness. Even though the word witness is used in the book of Acts 18 times, it's not actually in the text that I've just read. But if you want to know a, a definition of witness, it's in that last phrase, that last verse, verse 20, when he says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. When we talk about the word witness is chosen, one reason because in the book of Acts it's used 18 times. It's a dominant theme through the book of Acts. But the other thing is it, it, it is this idea that witnesses speak what they have seen and heard. We know this from a courtroom. In fact, the very setting here is of a courtroom. Uh, verse 9, he, he talks about if we are judged uh, for the good deed we have done to the helpless man, judged. He even talks about in verse um, 19, he says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. It's the word for a courtroom scene. And so really when we think about witness, we think about a courtroom. And there's, uh, this is just so simple. What is a witness? A witness is one who speaks what do they speak? They speak what they have seen and heard. In fact, in a courtroom, anything that is hearsay that you don't, do not personally know, that you have not experienced, that you weren't there for, is, is uh, dismissed. No, it's not evidence. You don't know that. That's just what you've, something that somebody else said. You, you weren't there to experience it. A witness speaks what they have seen and heard. Uh, this word is used, as I said, 18 times in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, Brother Steve, of course, it is the, the Greek word uh, that is trans, literally transliterated into English, martyr. And so in the, in the noun form, I'm sorry, sorry. It's always like a grammar lesson, isn't it? It would do some of you good, okay? Uh, in the noun form... It's translated in English, witness. So if you just do an English uh, concordance study, you're going to see the word witness in its noun form. When it becomes the verbal form, when it becomes a verb, it's translated in English, testify. So a witness testifies. Um, and that's, that's kind of the idea. Uh, it became, a martyr became connected with this because those who testified to Jesus Many of them did so with the loss of their life. And so a witness became one who 
gave his life for testifying. It, it is used throughout the book of Acts, of course, Acts 1.8. Jesus says to them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses uh, to me. Uh, Peter uses it on the day of Pentecost in 2.32. As he's preaching along, he says, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Peter uses it again in his encounter with Cornelius, 1039. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Paul uses it to describe what uh, Ananias said to him the day he, or the days after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his blinding Ananias comes. And Ananias says to him in as Paul relates this later in Acts 22, 15. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. So a witness speaks, but a witness speaks what they know, what they have experienced. And quite honestly, anything else is dismissible because that is the concept. It's a courtroom scene. And uh, I got to thinking about, so why don't we speak? Well, let me back up. A witness who does not speak is technically not a witness. If you're at the scene of a crime and you do not speak what the truth is to whatever, bring about justice in that situation, then you have a responsibility. I mean, you understand you've been irresponsible because there's somebody's life that is at stake here or justice is at stake. And, it, and if you don't speak what you know, what you've, what you've experienced, then somebody's uh, life is at stake. And I got to thinking the same is true in the spiritual realm. But it's that people's lives their eternal lives are at stake. And so a witness is responsible for speaking. What are they responsible for? What they've seen and heard. What they know, what they've experienced. I, I, this is what I was about to say earlier. I think the reason sometimes we don't speak is because we don't have all the answers. But think about when a witness comes in a courtroom, it's like, we don't, no, we don't have to, you don't have to tell us what your take is. Well, I think he really murdered him. I saw him running down the alley with the knife. There was blood on it. I think he murdered him. You know, it's like, no, it, that's not your responsibility. You just tell what you know. And I think, I think sometimes we're silent because we go, I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the Bible. I, I'm going to get in this spiritual conversation with my friend at work and they're going to ask me you know did Adam have a belly button <laughs> preacher I just don't know how to let me just I don't think just to just I don't think he did okay <laughs> that's my take on it but it's like and I know that's a silly illustration but I think sometimes we are silent because we we think we don't have all the answers well let me just let the cat out of the bag the preacher doesn't have all the answers either. And people are going to bring up things. And uh, your responsibility 
Well, your responsibility as the years grow on is to, are to know more and more answers, but it is not your resp- responsibility to be able to answer all the questions. You are responsible for what you know. And if you are a Christian and you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, you have enough to testify to Jesus. And what, one of the things I love about the story is, and it ties into this point and then we've got to move on, is that real life, those real life facts are hard to dispute. <laughs> it's like, no, I can tell you. I can tell you what Jesus did in my life. And, and I'm not saying witnessing ought to be all just subjective and, and all of that. But what I love about the story is the Sanhedrin's going, well, we can't really dispute it. The, the guy, we saw him all the time at the gate, beautiful, and he's been paralyzed his whole life, and now he's walking. He's like, what are we going to say? No, y'all didn't really heal, heal him. You know, it's like, well, we can't dispute it. Just like they didn't dispute the resurrection of Jesus. He goes, you killed him. God raised him from the dead. They didn't have an answer. But I, facts are hard things, aren't they? And they couldn't dispute their changed life. So I would just say, stay in your lane. Speak what you know. And maybe you're Zoe Mitchell and you just got saved and all you know is I was lost. I gave my life to Jesus and he, he saved me and he's changing me. I got baptized Sunday to let everybody know. That's what I know. A witness is responsible for what they know. But a, a witness is responsible for speaking what they know. The second word is Jesus. Um, mm, yeah. Um, I love this. Uh, Jesus was their focus of their witness. And I want you just to get that truth. What did they talk about? They talked about Jesus. Um, The religious leaders brought him in and wanted to talk to them about um, by what name. And they answered that question. And they said it was by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But let me tell you, Peter just kind of uses that as a launching pad. (laughs) He redirects the conversation to focus on Jesus. By what name? Jesus of Nazareth. Let it be known to you, Jesus of Nazareth. I love it. Actually, there's a little, there's a, in verse 9, um, in, in the Greek, it says, by what means he has been made well. It's the word sozo, which means to be saved. And uh, it's interesting that, uh, so Peter says, by what means he, it says, have been made well, because salvation in, in the Greek, it can have the connotation of physical salvation, but, G, uh, but Peter uses the, the physical salvation of his healing to launch into what he wanted to talk about, is that Jesus is the one who brings spiritual salvation. And so he begins to talk about Jesus and Peter uses it as an opportunity, and he's, he goes on and he presents the gospel, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Uh, by him, this man stands before you whole. And then the, just that 
powerful statement in verse 12, nor is there salvation. Sozo word. Um, in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus. You see this even in, in Peter's, uh, well, you see it actually earlier than even the Peter. Understand that Jesus is the focus of our witness. And so when Jesus in Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Not a doctrine, not a church, to a person. You will be a witness to me. Uh, Peter, after his introduction on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, after he's quoted Joel, he says in verse 22, after he's kind of answered their initial question and given them scriptural basis for that, he launches into his sermon, and in Acts 2, 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. His, really, his first word of proclamation is Jesus. Jesus ought to be the focus uh, oh, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is in Isaiah 53, but when Luke records this in Acts 8:35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Uh, same is true for Paul. After he is saved, he's Saul in Acts 9, 20. Immediately he, and this is in Damascus, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Um, witness to Jesus. People are going to ask you other questions, and your spiritual conversations are going to start about Adam's belly button. It's all right. It's a spiritual conversation. It's about the Bible, whatever. Just like Peter in Acts 4, we redirect the conversation to what we have to witness to, and that is to Jesus. The thing that strikes me when Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, um, they don't, they give an answer. But they really don't defend themselves. Well, now listen. Oh, 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 now listen. I'll tell you what was happening that day. That we were just listen, man. We were just walking through. Let me tell you, I, Jesus, that, that guy we used to follow. He told us just to call out in His name, and that dude got he he was healed that day. And listen, we don't no, but but listen, we're not we're not here to cause any trouble. We're not, you don't get any of that in the in the courtroom scene. They don't defend themselves, and quite honestly, they don't focus upon the miracle. Because, Byron, it's not about the miracle. It's about Jesus, the miracle worker. And they weren't going to get bogged, bogged down in the theology of how in that name did that guy get healed because there was, there was a greater salvation, and that was in Jesus. And so even though Jesus may not be the starting point of your conversation, Jesus needs to be the ending point of your conversation. The third aspect, 
third word is boldness. The word is actually used in verse 13. Um, that's the verse, remember, that was circled in my Bible. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, which used 12 times in the book of Acts, uh, right after this episode, as they're praying, 429, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Uh, describes Paul's um, time in Damascus when Barnabas brings him uh, to Jerusalem. But uh, 9.27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to him how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then actually, when you come to the last Verse of the book of Acts 8.31. Paul's in prison in Rome and describes he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus. And my English translation says with all confidence. But there's actually two words that end that and it is this word boldly and unhinderedly. But the next to last word in the book of Acts is the word, this word boldly, which speaks about speaking freely, openly. Uh, it, is, it is connected in the book of Acts with the word witness. Eighteen times the word witness is used. Twelve times the word boldness is used. Um, the antithesis, if, if the sense of that Greek word means to speak freely, means to speak openly, the antithesis of that is to be cautious, reluctant, guarded. I got to thinking about Peter and John. And it says, you know, and they saw their boldness. I don't know if you get this context, but when Peter denied the Lord three times, Jesus is in a court setting. Do you know with whom? These same men. Days before this, these same men brought Jesus in and they crucified him. If Peter, Peter and John had ever reason in the world not to be bold, they, days before they, they had seen how this went badly, or I know, humanly speaking, not heavenly speaking. It is understandable for Peter and John to have been cautious, reluctant, guarded, because this religious council had just sent Jesus to his death. 
so you, you get this contrast of Peter's denial. You also get this picture in Acts 1 of the church hunkered down in the upper room. What becomes the transformational, the pivotal event? It is the sending of the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, all of a sudden they're transformed and there's boldness. Even the men that can put them to death, they stand boldly and they testify to Jesus. I got to thinking, so why don't we? Why do we lack boldness? Well, I think quite honestly it's because we're concerned about ourselves. Our own self, I mean self-preservation. Peter and John had every reason for self-preservation in this episode. We're concerned over our image, our reputation, but bottom line, we are concerned about ourselves. And which really brings me to the final idea. And it's where we started. That it's only when we empty ourselves of ourselves that the Spirit can fill us. As long as Daryl Smith is concerned about his image, his reputation, my self-preservation, I'm going to be cautious, reluctant, guarded in my speech. But for the Christian, if we will empty ourselves, it's not just that we empty ourselves, but it creates a void that then the Holy Spirit fills. And this becomes the key to it all. And we see it throughout the book of Acts. Those who were filled with the Holy Spirit boldly witnessed to Jesus. I know that's very simple. When they emptied themselves of themselves and they gave opportunity for the Spirit to fill them, then they boldly testified to Jesus. I want to draw two conclusions. Listen closely. The boldness to witness to Jesus is the primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit. We've got some other theological issues and we've got brothers and sisters in our Christian world that have other understandings of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, church. This comes from the book of Acts. This is a dominant theme that the boldness to testify to Jesus is the primary evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Just, just read the book of Acts. You want to know whether somebody is filled with the Spirit? The primary evidence will be that they boldly witness to Jesus. But there's something else that I want to end with. The boldness to witness to Jesus is the primary means 
in which Jesus builds the church. Did you hear me? The boldness to witness to Jesus is the primary means that Jesus uses through his spirit to build his church. I don't want the rest of the sermons to be anticlimactic, but I'm saying the dominant theme means in the book of Acts, and we have to believe still to this day, of how did Jesus build the church through the Spirit? It was that the followers boldly witnessed to Jesus. That was the key. And it brings us all the way 2,000 years in advance. It's still true today. And quite honestly, this sermon series isn't about building Huntington First Baptist Church, but it applies. Um, the church at large is built when we testify boldly to Jesus. It's what we see repeatedly, dominantly in the book of Acts. And apart from that, you can have leadership, you can have Byron, you can have miracles, you can, we can have persecution, we can have all kinds of things. But if we don't boldly testify to Jesus, the church is not built. I appreciate Brother Steve being here and we wanted to emphasize that even in our life groups today, it comes down to us on a daily basis of saying, as evidence of being filled with the Spirit, I will boldly testify to Jesus. And Jesus will use that, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, it is the primary means in which Jesus uses to build the church. And it's true today. And until we are intentional, we are obedient to do that, the church cannot be built. Our church exists to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. And we have pools of influence in our neighborhoods, in our extracurricular activities, our groups of friends, work, school. And we believe that every person in Huntington ought to have a relational connection to the gospel, but we must be obedient to speak boldly. Uh, and Jesus will use that. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand with me this morning. <clears throat> I guess I have to stand then, don't I? Okay. Uh, let me pray. We'll have our, our, uh, our, uh, our song in which you, I pray seriously, would um, let God speak to you about your responsibility to speaking. Uh, to those around you. Um, and then at the end of this time, um, pastors will be at the front if you'd like to visit with us to give your life to Jesus, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Join the church. You need somebody to pray with you. So Father, today, uh, my prayer uh, for my own life is that you would empty me of me empty me of my self-preservation my concern for my self-image my safety whatever it is 
Father, we, I pray for me and for us as we empty ourselves that you'd fill us with the Spirit. And Father, we would boldly witness to Jesus. And Father, I pray in that obedience that people would come to faith. You'd build your church. Father, and it would be for your glory and for your honor. And so we trust that to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.